Hi, you're listening to History of Gore. I'm writer and researcher James Hoare. From the team behind History of War and All About History magazines, History of Gore reveals the weird and gruesome side of the past, from burial rites and early medicine to chemical weapons and the occult. If you enjoy the podcast, or even if you hate it, I'd rather you didn't, seek out All About History on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and let us know what you think. From Dennis Wheatley to James Herbert to Indiana Jones to Hellboy, the occult and the Third Reich are wedded in the popular imagination. Hell, Nazi zombie, is even a micro-genre of its own. In real terms, these connections are severely overstated, but there's more than enough for us to dine on, and over the next 800,000 episodes, we'll talk at length about some of the mad, bad and dangerous to know occultists, fortune-tellers, pseudo-scientists and mystics thrown up by the turmoil of Germany's ugly early 20th century. Starting right here, with the tragedy of Otto Rahn, the Nazis and the Holy Grail. A passionate historian of medieval grail lore, often referred to somewhat unimaginatively as the real Indiana Jones, Otto Rahm was lured into the SS inner circle by Karl Maria Villigat on the strength of his widely read 1933 book Crusade Against the Grail, which spread the idea that the medieval Cathar heresy in France was in fact the remnants of a Germanic pagan cult from the pre-Christian era. Villigat The Rasputin figure to the notorious SS leader Heinrich Himmler is a fascinating character in his own right, and we'll be talking more about him in a future episode. Before I go much further, though, I want to talk quickly about sources, because the Nazi occult is a field absolutely sodden with bullshit written by hacks and written by chances. I'm relying mainly on Hitler's Monsters, A Supernatural History of the Third Reich by Eric Kurlander, and on the work of the late Nicholas Goodrick Clark, who remains absolutely unsurpassed in this field. An essential read in particular is Goodrick Clark's The Occult Roots of Nazism, The Area Sophists of Austria and Germany, 1890-1935, which explains away the toxic blend of mythology, occultism, nationalism and turn-of-a-century existential horseshit that enabled the rise and spread of National Socialism and its cheerleader Adolf Hitler. In order to understand Rahn's Grail Law and its attraction to the Nazis, you must first understand the Cathar heresy. The Cathars arose in 12th century France in the Languedoc region, where both papal and royal authority were weak in the face of local nobles. They were a Gnostic sect who believed that the differences in Old and New Testament, you get plagues and vengeance in one and love and forgiveness in the other, were because God was actually two gods. The Old Testament God, who created the world and made ridiculous child-killing demands of his faithful, was actually Satan, whereas friendly love thy neighbour God from the New Testament was actually God-God, the real God. The world and everything in it, which was of course created by Old Testament devil-God in six days, was therefore evil and filled with temptation, and the poor bloody Cathar was doomed to be reincarnated in our earthly hellscape until he finally earned his release. The day-to-day implications of that are incredible. Some Cathars were strictly vegetarian, some were opposed to war and capital punishment, others were enormously critical of sex as procreation simply introduced another poor bastard into the cycle of rebirth, 
and women held roles of power and influence within the Cathar society, as reincarnation rendered gentle distinctions meaningless. If you were a woman today, you might have been a man yesterday, or you might be a man tomorrow. All very interesting, but on a doctrinal level, this was incredibly problematic for the church, who held that both Old and New Testament gods were one and indivisible. After exhausting diplomatic efforts, excommunication and interdiction, which is where you steal the property of people who have been excommunicated, in order to try and return the Cathars to a more ideologically acceptable brand of Christianity, the grotesquely misnamed Pope Innocent III launched the Albigensian Crusade. I will add that for their part, the Cathars were extremely belligerent towards the church that they saw as corrupt and materialistic, and the spark that lit papal wrath was the murder of Pierre de Castelnau, head of the papal mission to bring the Cathars back into the fold. The crusade, which took place from 1209 to 1229, was such a grand scale of slaughter that many historians describe it as a genocide and those who dispute that classification instead concede that it was an important historical precedent for genocide. At the very least, 200,000 men, women and children were slaughtered, and many burnt at the stake simply for being in the wrong town and falling under the influence of the wrong lord. It's tempting to look at Ran as something of a tragic romantic who didn't quite fit the profile of someone swept so deeply into the black orbit of Heinrich Himmler and the SS. It's important to remember, though, that he was an Ariasophist. This was an esoteric movement born in the late 19th century that asserted that Aryans, in this case Germans, were a pure and mystical race, profoundly linked to German soil and German land. Their exceptionalism and traditions had been diluted by Christianity, a foreign and by that they increasingly meant Jewish philosophy imposed by a foreign power, the Roman Empire. This ugly motif of lusty Germanic paganism, shirtless wolf-riding sons of the soil, versus insidious, alien, read Jewish, influences, would underpin a lot of the bilious nationalism that emerged in Germany at the time, including National Socialism. Rahn's work contributed to this volkish narrative of ancestral superiority, the engine that ultimately drove the Holocaust. Born February 1904 in Mittelstadt, Germany, Otto Rahn was only 29 when Crusade Against the Grail was released, so he was something of a rising star in those circles. But he may have been a big player in the coffee houses and lecture theatres, but he was out of his depth when it came to the poisonous internal politics of the Third Reich. This isn't exactly watertight research, but when you have a second, do a quick Google image search for Otto Rahn and you'll see three pictures, each one showing a slightly built, fine-boned and bookish man with a hesitant smile. It's easy to project tragedy and innocence onto that face. Rahn's original academic fixation was with the medieval German epic of Parzival, which is Percival in English, written in the 13th century by the poet Wolfram von Eichenbach, and definitely fictional. Parzival follows an Arthurian knight on his long quest for the Holy Grail. Rahn wasn't the only Parzival fanboy either. Earlier thinkers had tried to tie the story down to real people, eras and places, and raging anti-Semite and nationalist running dog Richard Wagner set it to music, creating Hitler's favourite opera. Indeed, Parzival was the character Adolf most associated with in his dark lust to rebuild Germany, telling his propaganda minister Goebbels, 
What is celebrated in the opera Parseval is not the religion of compassion, Christianity, but pure and noble blood, blood whose purity the brotherhood of initiates, the knights like Parseval himself, has come together to guard. In traditional Christian folklore, the holy grails, the cup used by Christ at the Last Supper and then used to catch his blood at the crucifixion, it had loomed large in English and French medieval verse with all manner of meanings ascribed to it, not all of them literal. In the German Parseval, it was something akin to the philosopher's stone, and building on this, Rahn believed it to be the stone from Lucifer's crown, Lucifer here being the pre-Christian pagan light-bringer, later demonised literally by the church. It was Parseval's quest for the Holy Grail that led Rahn on a quest of his own. He was particularly taken with accounts of three Cathar knights during the Albigensian Crusade who slipped over the walls of a doomed Monsegur castle with the Holy Grail stuffed into a Hessian sack. And Rahn travelled to the Languedoc region, where he didn't find the Holy Grail, obviously, but he did discover an incredible series of subterranean passages used by the Cathars when they were in hiding. For his part, Himmler loved Rahn's work so much that he committed it to memory. He signed off on a thousand Reichsmark a month stipend for Rahn to work on his next book and dispatched him on an SS-funded mission to Iceland to look for further evidence of the lost Aryan witch cult. Rahn took on an SS rank and uniform to better ingratiate himself with his new patron, but as an openly gay man, with, rumour has it, possible Jewish heritage, he should have been on his guard. Instead, Rahn told his friends, A man has to eat. What was I supposed to do, turn Himmler down? Neither Kurlander nor Gudrick Clark weigh in too heavily on Rahn's character. The sources are largely Rahn's own friends, speaking post-war, and it's fair to assume that they have a vested interest in airbrushing their reputations, as well as airbrushing their friends. The often repeated story, though, is only when Rahn's sequel, Lucifer's Court, appeared in 1937 with anti-Semitic passages crudely inserted by another hand did Rahn perhaps realise the monster his efforts were feeding. Personally, I don't find this entirely convincing. Anti-Semitism was deeply ingrained into the circles with which he moved and was hardwired into the Arya Sophie movement of which he was a devotee. Rahn also remained in regular contact with fellow mystics in the SS, such as the aforementioned Karl Maria Villigat, men who were much less ambiguous in their ideological aims. As it happened, racism didn't exactly ruin the book. It was shit already. Lucifer's Court was clearly a rush job, filled with lumpen prose and woolly conclusions, which is perhaps what you get when you turn his free spirit like Rahn to a desk and force him to write to spec. He did, however, gift us with his most quotable line. Ron wrote, My ancestors were witches, and I am a heretic. Himmler, though, was delighted with Lucifer's court, which linked the Cathar heresy to wider European witchcraft cults suppressed by Rome. He ordered 5,000 copies bound in pigskin to be presented to the Nazi elite, and Hitler was even given one on his birthday. Rahn, meanwhile, gave lectures to the SS on Lucifer's role as an enemy of the Jewish god. Rahn's fortunes were waning, however, as were many of the more outlandish figures riding Himmler's jet-black coattails. Punished for a drunken homosexual scrape, and I'm disappointed there's not more to that story, Rahn was dispatched on a three-month tour of duty to Dachau concentration camp. He was horrified by what he saw, 
and naively tried to resign his commission, writing in despair to a friend, I have much sorrow in my country. It is impossible for a tolerant, liberal man like me to live in a nation that my native country has become. Rumours of Rand's sexuality were beginning to make the rounds as well, and whatever grace he brought himself with his usefulness to Himmler and his ideology ended the second he turned down the Reichsfuhrer SS and offered his resignation. Stories vary in the exact chain of events, but the one that intrigues me the most is that his resignation was refused and a solution that better suited Himmler's agenda was proposed. On March 1939, 34-year-old Rahn climbed a snow-covered slope in Austria's Tyrol Mountains and was found dead the following morning, his lifeless eyes staring out across a serene landscape worthy of Parzival. As an experienced hiker and mountaineer, it's unlikely that hypothermia would have claimed Rahn through carelessness. However, with his death, accidental or otherwise, his reputation was wiped as clean as the snow. Lucifer's court remained required reading for the SS, with 10,000 copies printed in 1934 and 5,000 printed in 1944. Rahn's words resignated through the burning embers of the Third Reich and took the Second World War to its grisly conclusion. For more weird and wonderful stories from the past, albeit with far less profanity, check out the latest issues of History of War and All About History magazines. These are available in all good news agents and supermarkets and from Barnes & Noble in the US. To find out more, visit historyanswers.co.uk or shop for single issues and subscriptions at myfavouritemagazines.co.uk. That's the UK spelling of favourite with an O and U. Sorry about that, America and Australia and I don't know about New Zealand. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next episode.